listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God by the Venerable Maria Vagrida. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can head on over to the Facebook group, Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 326. We are reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 3, paragraphs 422 to 430. 422. Immediately the angel returned to Ephesus and gave an account of the execution of the sentence against Herod. The merciful mother wept over the loss of this soul, but praised the judgments of the Lord, and gave him thanks for the benefit which the church would derive from his chastisement. For as St. Luke says, Acts 12.24, the church grew and increased by the word of God. This was true not only in Galilee and Judea, where the persecutor Herod was removed, but through St. John and the help of the Most Holy Mother, the church was taking root in Ephesus. The science of the blessed apostle was full as that of the cherubim, and the love of his heart was inflamed like that of the seraphim, and he had with him as his mother and teacher the mistress of wisdom and grace. On account of these precious advantages, the evangelist could undertake great and wonderful works for the foundation of the law of grace, not only in Ephesus but in all neighboring regions of Asia and the borderlands of Europe. 423. Arriving at Ephesus, the evangelist began to preach in the city, baptizing those whom he converted to the faith of Christ our Savior, and confirming the faith by great miracles and prodigies, such as had never been witnessed by those Gentiles. Since the Greek schools in those countries turned out many philosophers and men learned in what, notwithstanding the admixture of many errors, could be called human sciences, the blessed apostle convincingly taught them the true science, making use not only of miracles and signs, but of argumentation for the credibility of the Christian faith. All his catechumens he immediately sent to the Most Holy Mary, and she instructed many. As she knew the interior inclinations of all, she spoke to the heart of each one and filled it with heavenly light. She wrought prodigies and miracles for the benefit of the unfortunate, curing the possessed and the infirm, succored the poor and the needy, and by the labor of her own hands gave assistance to the sick and the infirmities, attending upon them in person. In her house, the kindest queen had a supply of clothes for the most poor and forsaken of her fellow men. 
She helped many in the hour of their death, gaining these souls in their last agony and bringing them safely through all the assaults of the demon to their creator. So many souls did she draw to the path of truth and life eternal, and so numerous were the wonders she wrought for this end that they could not be recorded in many books. For no day passed in which she did not increase the possessions of the Lord by the copious and abundant fruit of souls. 4.24. On account of the growth of the primitive church through the holiness, solicitude, and labors of the Queen of Heaven, the demons were filled with confusion and furious disappointment. Although they rejoiced in the condemnation of all souls, because it swelled the numbers of the damned in hell, yet they were grievously put out at the death of Herod, for on account of his obstinacy they had expected from him no amendment of his violent, abominable life, and therefore had considered him a powerful instrument for the persecution of the followers of Christ our Lord. The divine providence permitted Lucifer and the other infernal dragons to emerge from the depths of hell, whether they had been cast forth from Jerusalem by the Most Blessed Mother, as I have related in the last chapter. After having spent their time in hell in planning and preparing temptations for their conflict with the invincible queen of the angels, Lucifer resolved to make complaint against her to the Lord himself, as he had done against holy Job, Job 1.9, although he now did it with greater wrath. With this intent before issuing from the abyss, he spoke to his ministers as follows. 4.25 If we do not vanquish this woman, our enemy, I fear that without a doubt she will destroy my sovereignty. For we all find in her a strength more than human, which annihilates and oppresses us, whenever and in whatsoever manner she pleases to exercise it. This is what makes her intolerable to me. For if she were God, who is offended by my high aspirations and hostility, and who has infinite power to destroy us, I would not feel so much confusion at being overcome. But this woman, though she is the mother of God of the incarnate word, is not God. She is a mere creature of a nature inferior to ours. I shall not further endure to be treated by her in such an imperious manner and be ruined by her opposition to me. Let us all go forth to destroy her and let us make our complaint to the Omnipotent, as we have now concluded to do. In reliance upon his pretended rights, the dragon executed his resolve, for he alleged that God, instead of leaving her in her humble condition, exposed to the persecutions and temptations of the demons, had by his graces and gifts unjustly raised this woman above him, though she was but dust of the earth, while he was an angel of such superior essence. But I must remark that these hellish foes did not present themselves before the Lord, so as to see him being entirely incapable thereof. But through their knowledge and belief in the supernatural mysteries, which is conceded to them in a curtailed yet by them unavoidable measure, they are permitted to speak to God. This is what is meant when they are mentioned as being in the presence of God to make complaint or to have converse with him. 4.26 The Almighty gave Lucifer permission to go forth and battle against the Most Blessed Mother, but the conditions asked by Satan were unjust, and therefore many of them were not conceded. The divine wisdom furnished these weapons which were appropriate to each combatant, in order that the victory of his mother might be so much the more glorious, and crush the head of his ancient and poisonous serpent. Genesis 3.15 This battle was mysterious, no less than its triumphant issue, as we shall see in the following chapters. Moreover, its mysterious character is plainly evident in the twelfth chapter of the Apocalypse. 
and from the other mysteries of which I have spoken in my explanations of the first part of this history, part one, number 94. I wish only to state here that the divine providence foreordained all this, not only for the greater glory of his most holy mother, and for the exaltation of the divine power and wisdom, but also in order to bring relief to the church from the persecutions roused against it by the demons, and also to bind himself with some show of justice to the bestowal of the infinite favors and blessings, which the Most Holy Mary alone and no other souls could ever merit for the whole church. The Lord continually works in this manner in his church, preparing and fortifying some chosen souls, against which, as members and parts of his holy church, the dragon may exert all his wrath and fury. If they overcome him by the help of the divine grace, their victories redounded to the benefit of the whole mystical body of the faithful, and the enemy loses some of his right and power over them. Instruction which the great queen of the angels, Most Holy Mary, gave me. 427. My daughter, when in the course of this history I so often call thy attention to the lamentable state of the world, and so that of the Holy Church, in which thou livest, and when I so often express my maternal solicitude, that thou imitate me, remember, my dearest, that I have great reasons for obliging thee to lament with me, and for wishing thee to weep over that which I bewailed in my mortal life, and which would afflict me in my present state, if in it I were capable of sorrow. I assure thee, soul, thou hast reached times in which thou oughtest to shed tears of blood, because of the calamities coming over the children of Adam. Since thou canst not at one and the same time attain a full knowledge of them all, I remind thee of what, from my place in heaven, I see going on in the whole world among the believers of the holy faith. Turn then thy eyes upon those multitudes, and behold the greater part of the children of Adam in the darkness and errors of unbelief, rushing without hope of salvation to eternal perdition. Behold also the children of the faith and of the church, how heedless and forgetful of this damage they continue to be, so that there are none who seem to deplore it. For in contempt of their own salvation they care not about that of others, and their faith being dead, and their love extinct, they sorrow not for the loss of souls created by God and redeemed by the blood of the incarnate word. 4.28 All the children of the Eternal Father who in heaven, Matthew 23.9, and all are obliged to have a care of their brethren according to each one's condition. This obligation rests more especially upon the children of the church, who can live up to it by their prayers and supplications. But this duty lies still more directly upon those who have influence, upon those who are nourished by the Christian faith, and who enjoy more of the benefits of the liberal hand of the Almighty, those who through the law of Christ are favored with temporal advantages, and who make use of them for the service and delights of the flesh, and they who, as they are powerful, are to be more powerfully tormented. Matthew 23, 9. If the pastors and the chiefs of the house of the Lord seek only a life of ease without caring to engage in true, earnest labor, they will make themselves accountable for the ruin of the flock of Christ and for the carnage brought on by the infernal wolves. O my daughter, into what a lamentable state has the Christian people been cast by the powerful, by the pastors, and by the wicked ministers whom God has given them in his secret judgments. O what confusion and chastisements await them. Before the tribunal of the just judge, they will have no excuse since the Catholic Church undeceives them, their conscience loudly protests, while they willfully remain deaf to all warnings. 4.29 The cause of God remains neglected and without a champion, 
His possessions, which are the souls, are left without increase. All, as it were, look, but to their own interest and preservation, each one according to his own diabolical cunning and according to his state of life. Truth is obscured. Flattery raises its voice. Avarice is unbridled. The blood of Christ is trodden underfoot. The fruits of redemption are held in contempt. No one wishes to risk his own comfort or interest in order to save what has cost the Savior his blood and life. Even the friends of God are influenced by the evils, for they do not make use of their charity and its holy liberty, as they ought, and most of them allow themselves to be overcome by their cowardice and content themselves with working for themselves alone, forsaking the common cause of the souls of others. Hence thou mayest understand, my daughter, that now, after the evangelical church has been established by my divine Son, and fertilized by his own blood, those unhappy times have come, of which the Lord himself complains, through his holy prophets, saying, What the palmer worm hath left the locust has eaten, and what the locust left the brucus consumed, and the residue is destroyed by the mildew. Joel 1.4. And in order to gather some fruits from his vineyard, the Lord goes about like the gleaner after the vintage who seeks some remaining grape or some olive which is not dried up or carried away by the demons. Isaiah 24.13. 4.30. Tell me now, my daughter, how is it possible if thou still hast a true love for my divine son and for me? that thou find consolation or rest in thy heart at the sight of the loss of souls, which he redeemed by his blood, and I have sought with blood-mingled tears. Even today, if I could shed them, I would begin to do so with new weeping and compassion. And since it is not possible for me now to weep over the dangers threatening the church, I wish that thou do it, and that thou spurn consolation in a misfortune so calamitous and so worthy of lament. Weep bitterly, then, and lose not the merit of such a sorrow, and let it be so deep that thou findest no relief except in affliction for the sake of the Lord, whom thou lovest. Think of what I did, in order to stave off the damnation of Herod, and to prevent it, for those who wish to avail themselves of my intercession. In the beatific vision I pray without ceasing for the salvation of my clients. Let not the labors and tribulations sent to thee by my divine Son intimidate thee from helping thy brethren and acquiring them for the possession of Christ amidst the injuries done to him by the children of Adam. Do thou labor to recompense them in some measure by the purity of thy soul, which I desire shall be rather that of an angel than of an earth-born woman. Fight the battles of the Lord against his enemies and in his name and mine. Crush their head, reign over their pride, and cast them into hell. Do thou also counsel the ministers of Christ, with whom thou conversest, to use their power in doing the same, to defend the souls in their lively faith, and in them the honor and the glory of the Lord. For thus shall they repress and vanquish them with divine power. This concludes our reading today for day number 326. We have been reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 3, paragraphs 422 to 430. One of the things we heard in our reading today was about how catechumens, those interested in the Christian faith, were sent to Our Lady. It says, All his catechumens he immediately sent to the Most Holy Mary, and she instructed many. As she knew the interior inclinations of all, she spoke to the heart of each one and filled it with heavenly light. She instructed many. And how delightful it would be 
if we all could be clients of Our Lady, being taught by her, being instructed by her. St. Bernadette, the little girl who received the apparitions in Lourdes, she was taught by the Blessed Mother. It's often said that her she was prepared for her first communion by Our Lady. Mary has taught so many others through her apparitions as well. But today we can ask, Mary, teach me. After all, we hear these instructions at the end of every chapter. That's Mary instructing us. But in a very personal way, we can maybe ask, Mary, teach me the virtues. Mary, teach me what you want me to know about your son. It's going to be a gradual realization that you'll see what Our Lady has been teaching. I know that I would like Our Lady to be my instructor. And then we heard something that we've read often in the instructions, kind of the lackadaisical approach that many of us have, that we don't allow ourselves to be horrified by certain things. So we heard, for example, For in contempt of their own salvation, they care not about that of others. And their faith being dead and their love extinct, they sorrow not for the loss of souls created by God and redeemed by the blood of the incarnate word. Well, we want to have a great concern for others. We're not just inward focused. We're outward focused. We should grieve over sins that others commit. We should pray for them. It also says that, They look but to their own interests and preservation, each one according to his own diabolical cunning and according to his state of life. Maybe that's something to pray about. Where do I look to my own interests instead of that of others? And then finally, at the end of our reading today, it said, In the beatific vision, I pray without ceasing for the salvation of my clients. I always love mentioning the champion apparition, but this is what Our Lady said to Adele Bryce in 1859. She said, I am the Queen of Heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners. In the beatific vision, I pray without ceasing for the salvation of my clients. Well, we as sinners are clients of Our Lady, and she prays without ceasing for us. But don't forget what Our Lady also said to Adele Bryce, and I wish you to do the same. And so as Mary perseveres in prayer for her clients, for their salvation, let us persevere daily in our prayer for the salvation of all. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful that you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.